Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Yesterday on February 5th, it posted a memory from 2019 on that day. And on that day, I was out of my back deck on it with a t-shirt doing the weekly church video. And I thought, how things have changed. <laughs> I'm not going to be out in my deck. I'll be out behind my snowblower, but not on my deck in a t-shirt these days. So uh, I hope you're enjoying winter. It, um, there are things that I am grateful for um, during these days. One of them is grandchildren. How many have grandchildren? Aren't they great? They tell you when you, I remember them people telling me that, you know, they're different. It's different. And I couldn't figure out what's different about having grandchildren until you have grandchildren. You realize, oh, it's so, it is so different. It's so wonderful. Someone said a grandchild fills a space in your heart. You never knew that was empty until you have one. And so um, I thought I'm going to be telling my bad pastor joke in a moment. Every week I've been, yeah, I know. I'm sorry, groaning. Oh, but just for this series alone, just exclusively for this series, I'm telling bad pastor jokes. But to kind of ease you into it, I thought I would share a little clip of my grandson, uh, Lewis, who loves to sing. He loves to sing. And um, right now it's Mary Poppins songs. He's two years old. Actually, he'll be three this week, So, he, but he's two years old. Uh, he loves Mary Poppins. He loves singing Sunday school songs. But during this last Christmas, it was the Christmas carols. And he'd just be at the table, at the dinner table, and just breaking out in the song. And there's a clip of him singing Silent Night. And at the end of this, he kind of throws in a, a little bit of line of joy to the world, come let's adore him, down in my heart, and come all you faithful as well. So just enjoy this before we, as we enter into the, uh, to the service today. makes life so much better, you know, to have grandchildren. And uh, so I'm going to explain life to you right now. Okay, you ready? I'm going to explain life to you, and it does involve grandchildren. See, on the first day God created the dog, God said, sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks past. I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog said, that's too long to be barking. Give me 10 years, and I'll give you back the other 10. So God agreed. On the second day, God created the monkey. God said, entertain people. Do monkey tricks. Make them laugh. I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. 
The monkey said, monkey, monkey said, monkey tricks are 20 years. I don't think so. The dog gave you back 10, so that's what I'll do as well, okay? And God agreed. On the third day, God created the cow. You must go to the field with the farmer all day long and suffer under the sun, have calves and give milk to support the farmer. I'll give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow said, that's kind of a tough life. You want me to live for 60 years? Let's, let me just have 20. I'll give you back the other 40. And God agreed. On the fourth day, God created man. God said, eat, sleep, play, be merry, and enjoy your life, and I'll give you 20 years. And man said, what, only 20 years? Tell you what, I'll take my 20, okay? And the 40 the cow gave back to you, and the 10 the monkey gave back to you, and the 10 the dog gave back to you, that makes 80. What do you think? Okay, said God, you got a deal, 80 years. So that is why in the first 20 years of our life, we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain the grandchildren. And for the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everyone that goes by. <laughs> yeah, that's life. I'm See you later. Thanks for coming today. It's good to see you. <laughs> of course, life is a little more difficult than that. And, and to help us understand our own life, we've been looking at the life of Jonah these past four weeks. When the light of Jonah and the decisions he made and the feelings he had, we've, I've learned a lot about me. And I hope you've learned a lot about yourself as well. We know that like Jonah, we face moments and seasons of life where we can feel overwhelmed and hopeless and helpless. And last week we saw John, Jonah finally come to this place in his life where he began to turn his life from a place of helplessness that he decided he would receive help. And he did this, remember we said, by first of all, Jonah, when he hit bottom, he looked up and he prayed. That Jonah prayed, it says in Jonah 2.1, he prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. Now, I'm, I'm always learning, and I learned just this week um, from Pastor Morgan, who's just fresh out of seminary, who now knows what this big fish was. I didn't know this. She informs me it was a tuna, and a pink tuna. I didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> but she's determined it was a big pink tuna to swallow Jonah. So we'll, we'll say that. Okay. And when Jonah looked up to God, he just didn't pray. We said, secondly, he prayed passionately because God, I believe, wants your prayers to be full of emotion, passionate. He wants you to care about what you're praying for. He wants you to believe that he's going to answer your prayers. He wants you to get emotionally involved in these conversations that we're having with him. And we read these words from Jonah. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. Like I cried out and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. That's where I am. And the Lord, you heard me. Jonah was quite passionate in his prayer. And he looked up to God, he prayed passionately, and in his prayer we said he identified the causes for his helplessness. In this prayer, Jonah told God he felt, remember, trapped, abandoned, powerless, anxious, and hopeless, and so on. And it's important that we know that we can name the cause of why this feeling of helplessness we have in our life, because then we can pray into it, we can pray about it, we can name it. But once, once you know what lies behind this feeling, you can say, Lord, this is it, I'm praying about this. It's very difficult to work on and to pray into an area if you can't identify what it is that's giving you these feelings. 
why you have them. So knowing this, the cause for his feeling of helplessness, Jonah then asked God for specific help, we said. And then finally, how did he do this? He prayed the word of God back to God. Jonah knew the word of God. How do I know? When he hit the bottom, when he was in the big fish, I mean the big pink tuna, he prayed the word of God back to God. And Jonah's prayer from chapter 2 that we read last week, he quoted, Jonah quoted eight times passages of scripture from the Psalms. Jonah did not have a copy of the Bible with him in the belly of that great fish. The scriptures would not be printed as we have them today for everyday use until the 15th century B.C. or, or A.D. Jonah lived 8th century B.C. But he's able to pray the word of God back to God. Why? Because he knew it. He had memorized it. He knew it well enough he could pray it back to God. Jonah told us himself, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. He understood, I'm slipping, I'm, I'm falling, I'm drifting, I'm dying. I'm going to look up. I'm going to pray passionately. I'm going to name the reasons, the causes for how I feel. I'm going to, I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to pray the word of God back to God. Many Christians um, have a life verse. It's a portion of scripture which serves as a reminder and encouragement for, for us when we face times of maybe of challenge or just need some truth to ring in our hearts. And, they, and people with a life verse often have memorized scripture, this life verse, so they can pull it out when needed. How many of you would say you have a life verse that you know? Could you say what it is? You might know it. They could just say it out right now. There you go. Amen. Good one, Willie. I'll tell you why in a second. That's a trust in the Lord and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. Who said that one? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. Amen. Aren't you glad for that, Lem? Praise the Lord. Amen. Wow. And you know, you can't see Keith. He's not reading that. It's coming from in here. Uh, is that Psalm 1? Isn't that great? How valuable it is to have these life verses. And maybe you're at home today and you're sitting with somebody. Tell them right now, like, what is your life verse? Just say it out loud. I'll give you a moment. Amen. I have a life verse, but I decided recently that I needed a pandemic verse. A verse I can pray passionately back to God when I'm troubled by the ugliness that comes with the pandemic. And I'll just mean the sickness. My pandemic verse is what Willie had said, John 16, where God, Jesus says, I've told you these things 
so you may have peace in me. In the world, you will have trouble. You'll have much trouble. But take hope, for I have power over the world. And, you know, I underline the words peace and power in that verse because my peace in this world comes from the power of Jesus Christ over this world. I never want to be distracted from this truth. And here's what I learned. When you look at your problems, you will become distressed. When you look within, you'll be depressed. When you look to Jesus Christ, you'll be at rest. When you look at your problems, you'll be distressed. When you look within, you'll become depressed. When you look to Jesus Christ, you'll be at rest. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah prays these things. And then the very last verse says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah up out onto the beach. And we arrive now to Jonah chapter 3 today. The chapter begins simply but profoundly with these words. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. You see, God is a God of second chances. God could have easily given up on Jonah, allowing him to drift, sink, and die. Jonah drifted away from the Lord. He drifted from his call upon his life. He kept sinking down. We've been seeing a couple of weeks how Jonah goes down to the port of Joppa. He goes down into the ship to Tarsh. He goes down into the hold of the ship. He then goes down to sleep. And then he decides, I'm going to go down the ocean and die. God comes to Jonah, giving him another chance to listen, obey, and follow. I know God is wanting to speak to someone or some people today who are drifting, sinking, perhaps even die in their obedience. Because this whole series of Jonah came as a call saying, Mark, preach Jonah. I never, it wasn't even on my radar. I, I didn't know what I was going to say. I already had another series planned, but God said, no, just be faithful. Just trust me in this. You won't understand. You may not see, but preach Jonah. And so God interrupted regular scheduled programming for this important message. Going through Jonah has reminded me how we have two choices to make in regards to God and his calling in my life. I can listen, obey, and follow, or I can drift, sink, and die. When we choose to drift, sink, and die, we, we tend to blame anyone or anything but ourselves. When I was younger... Uh, I like to golf, and a lot because the pastors like to golf, and Mondays we get together and go out for some golf, and uh, it was usually sometimes three pastors that go golfing. When you go to a golf course, there's three of you, they, they throw in another guy to join to make it a foursome, and uh, you know, be someone we didn't know, and, and this fourth guy would come in and join us three, and I'm going to call him Hank. There's a lot of pressure on Hank because the three of us know our golf game, and Hank, you know, he wants to impress. He doesn't want to, you know, feel like, oh, we got a loser here. And so he gets up to tee off his ball the very first hole. And he sh- swings, he shoots, and the ball hooks off into the woods. And Hank's embarrassed, so he blames the ball. He says, curse, swear, ball, curse, swear, ball, curse, swear, ball. Second tee, we get up, and we hit it a couple hundred yards, and Hank comes up to the tee, feeling the pressure, and he lines up, hits the ball. Once again, the ball goes off into the woods. And it's not his fault. Curse, swear, ball. Curse, swear, ball. Curse, swear, ball. By the third hole, 
Hank realizes it's not the ball's fault. It's the club's fault. He goes on a different club, he lines up, he tees off, and the ball still goes off the course, off the fairway, into the woods, and it's curse where club, curse where club, curse where club. And usually by the, the fourth hole or so, we, you know, men talk, and you always ask the question, so what do you guys do for a living? Well, Hank, we're pastors. And you watch the blood fall out of Hank's face. Hank is up to the fifth hole, fourth hole. He tees up, and still the ball goes into the woods, but now it's, oh, dear. <laughs> Fiddlesticks. <laughs> it's amazing how much uh, influence you can have uh, in, in a pastor, uh, being a pastor. Not as much as you used to, but what we would do is say, you know, Hank, we're going to give you a mulligan. You know what a mulligan is? In golf, it's when you make a horrible shot. It goes off into the woods or into the water, and we say, you know what? It's a, you can have a do-over. We're going to give you a second chance. I'm so grateful how God gives us a mulligan, a second chance. You know, what do Moses, King David, uh, the disciple Peter and the Apostle Paul have in common? Well, there are things they have in common. One, God used these men in mighty ways to carry out his mission here on earth. Can't argue that. Another way that nothing they have in common is God inspired each one of these men to write large portions of the Bible, inspired had them to write what he wanted in his Bible. And oh yeah, each one of these men also committed great sin. Moses murdered a man. David committed adultery and then had the husband of the wife he committed adultery with killed. Peter cursed and denied knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times when Jesus needed him. Turned his back on him. Paul persecuted the church. He was responsible for murders, lies being taken in the church. But... God gave them all a second chance. And think of the impact these men have had upon the church, or even on our lives personally. And all this was made possible because though they had sinned, God gave them a second chance. And it makes me wonder who is praising God today, or who will be praising God today, or tomorrow, because God gave you a second chance, and you took it. Like those men took it. If you try to deny sin and hide sin, you will not know the God of the second chances. But if you go through those steps we looked at, was it week two, I think, uh, of the series where we said, if you go through these, set, these steps, they all started with C, remember? You choose to humble yourself. You, you coordinate with God's word. And then you realize the condition of your life. And then you're convicted by your sin. And then you confess your sin. And all that leads to the cultivation. That's where it's the success, the rewards of living an obedient life come from. But first, you've got to go through these other steps. The opposite of pursuing those steps, of taking those steps, is that you hide. You, you run away. And that's what Jonah did in the first chapter of, uh, of the book. And the Bible tells us people who still make this decision will not prosper, will not cultivate the blessing of God in this Christian life. Psalm 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. You know what that means in the original Hebrew? 
People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess, and then what? Turn from them. They're going to receive mercy. A second chance. A mulligan. So what should we do when God gives us a second chance? You've messed up, you've gone the way of Jonah, and then you cry out to God, I'm sorry, you confess your sin, he knows you mean it, he's forgiven you, and gives you a second chance. What should you do now? We're going to talk about that today, three things. Number one, respond with great gratitude. Giving God gratitude, lifting up you know, powerful praise to him is a lifestyle, I've come to learn. It isn't something you put on and take off like a coat. It isn't something you wear to make you look good or feel good or more comfortable. Great gratitude isn't something we just wear on special occasions. Giving God great gratitude is every day, everywhere. It is a disposition of one who knows God has given me a second chance, and I'm so grateful to this God. One of the reasons I'm grateful to God is because he's given me a mulligan. And people say, well, no, God, he isn't fair. God isn't fair. And they're right. And I'm glad he's isn't fair because if he were, I'd be doomed. The Bible is right where it says all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. And thus we all deserve eternal death. We deserve a life without God here and forever. This is what we would receive if God was fair. I'm grateful today he isn't fair, but he's a God of grace a God of mercy, a God is willing to give you another chance. I was in um, Germany once on, on Lake Constance. It's a large lake. And you sit up there on the lake and, and at this hotel, and you could look across and see Switzerland on the other side. And I have a book of sermons that theologian Karl Barth preached to inmates in a Swiss prison. And in a sermon entitled, Saved by Grace, Bart tells a story found in Gustav Schwab's poem that he told about a horseman who's riding through the night, anxious to reach the town that lies on the edge of this great lake, Constance. He, his plan was when he arrived at the, to the town at the edge of Lake Constance, he would stop and spend the night there, and in the morning it was light, he would cross by ferry to the other side. It's wintertime. And on his horse, he rides and he rides, never knowing how far he's gone and how fast he's traveled. When he finally reaches the town after, after dark is set in, he asks the woman, how much further to the lake? She then tells him, you just crossed the lake. And literally, that lake is thin ice. And it dawns upon the rider how he crossed this frozen lake by mistake. He breaks down. He can't control himself. He's, he's emotional. He realizes the great danger he was in and how close to death he was. And now he realizes, I didn't even realize how, where, where I was and what I was doing. And now I'm safe. I'm so grateful. And he's overcome with gratitude. I should have died, but I was spared. I had no idea. This should be a response on the other side of sin. Where we realize how close we were to losing our soul. And how, now how we've arrived safely on the other side, only because not of who I am, but because who God is and the grace that he gives me. 
I can now live in this place, this land called great gratitude to God. And it shows. It should be evident in the way that we participate in worship. It, it, it shows, it should be evident in our attitudes, the way we talk. It, it shows, it should be evident in how we listen, obey, and follow. I'm so grateful that God isn't fair or I'd be doomed. He's given me a second chance. Jonah discovers this. He says in, 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 in Jonah chapter 2, 9, but I will offer sacrifices. That is, I'm going to give thanks to you, God. I'm going to give you sacrifices to you with songs of praise. That's worship of thanksgiving. And I will fulfill my vows. I'm going to obey you with thankfulness. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. This comes from God. This is not something I have done. My life without God was going deeper, 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 down, down, down. I was drifting, sinking, and dying. But now I've been rescued. And he's praying this while he's in the whale, trusting God, saying, God, I've blown it. But I'm going to offer you sacrifices. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you thanks. So what should we do when God gives us another chance? We respond with great gratitude. Great gratitude. And it should be evident. Secondly, I make God's mission my top priority. I, you know, I was thinking this morning, there's nowhere in the Bible that says put God second, I don't think. Seek him first. Give up your first. It's, it's, it's a top priority. And God says, I'll just take care of you. If you, make me, if you put me as a top priority in my mission, I'll take care of you. I'll just take care of you. You know, mission is not just a church trip away. It's about making Jesus known where you are now. Once I believe in Jesus, I'm compelled to make Jesus known wherever I am. See, people will live their whole life thinking life is about self. They're driven and motivated by what I want, what I need. And they don't ever stop and think about God in their life. They, they think of their legacy. They think of their preferences. They think of their accomplishments. They think of what others may think of me, and that's what matters. But a follower of Jesus is not a follower of self. And Jesus makes this so clear. In the Bible, it says, For if a man belongs to Christ, he is a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The old life is where I'm filled with self. The new life is where I replace that with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with God and his purposes. How many people, I wonder, I think about this, I really do. How many people would be horrified when they die and stand before God and then only then realize that, they're, that they made life all about them? They thought their life was going to bring them glory. They thought that life was striving to better their situation. But God didn't put us here on earth just to live selflessly, selfishly. And Jesus is so clear on that. I love the story. Jesus says that he told them the story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Can you imagine? Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones, more for me. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. 
Just then, God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die in your barn full of goods. Who gets it? Listen to what Jesus says. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. One of the blessings of coming to church week after week for me is reminded why I'm here on this earth. What it is I'm to do with my life. To hear the truth and do nothing about it will lead to regret. It will lead to standing before God going, I missed it. I was selfish. I didn't realize God put me on this world for a purpose and have a mission for me. I totally ignored it. And now it's too late. But to hear the truth, as we talk about in church, I'm grateful for that, to receive it and then put into action is to understand and know that I will have reward and blessing. Jesus said this kind of truth, when you've received this truth and live it, you will be set free. So fill your barn, fill your life, that is, not with self, but with God. On the other side of sin, where I'm saved by grace, God's mission for my life becomes the main thing. Top priority. Why put me here? Why put you here? And he'll take care of other things. He'll, he'll take care of you. It's, if you just make him top priority, he says in Matthew 6.33, I'll take care of the things other people worry about. You just make me number top. Put me on the throne. Make me master. Make me Lord. And I'll take care of you. I want to understand this isn't just a sermon point. It is a theme throughout the scripture where saved by grace Christians declare with great joy, as the Apostle Paul did, I don't care about my life. I really don't. The most important thing is that I complete my mission. The work, what is that? It's the work that Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace, about the God of the second chance, because we need that. People need that. God had a mission for Jonah, but Jonah would not receive it. and said he ran, he hid. But when Jonah was ready, on the edge of death, God gave him a second chance. We read this. And the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. It's the message, if that message sounds familiar, it's because it's the very same one that started the whole chapter. In Jonah 1.1, God said, I have a message. Go and preach to the people of Nineveh. It didn't change. He's waiting for Jonah to come around. Now, on the other side of conviction, the other side of confessed sin, Jonah realizes, i got to make this my top priority. When I'm living for self, it's not going so well. If you don't know what God's mission is for you, <clears throat> I hear people ask me that. Uh, really, you just have to do two simple things. They are the same two ways I know how I can serve my wife, Glenda. I spend time with her, and I listen. I was telling the, the prayer group, the prayer start group, and, you know, welcome to come to prayer start. It's a way we begin our service, 9 o'clock on Sundays. But I was, heading out, I was heading out of the house Friday night. As I was heading out the door, Glenda yelled, or, I mean, spoke to me, bring me back something sweet. And as soon as she said this, I knew I had a mission from my, work, my wife to serve my wife. So on the way home, I stopped by Tim's and got her a box of Timbits. And no chocolate ones because she doesn't eat chocolates, all without chocolate. And how do I know this? How do I know that's what she would like? Because I spend time with her and I listen. I know how to fulfill my mission. 
and she gives it. And there's a reward in serving. You know that the Bible says there's more, there's more blessing in giving than receiving. The Apostle Paul said that to the church at Ephesus. I can't remember the chapter in Acts. I think it's 20, but he said that. And the thing is, we don't hear Jesus saying that in the Gospels, but thank goodness Paul said this. Remember what Jesus said. We all seem to know. Jesus said there's more blessing in giving than receiving. I found that was true that night. Because about an hour later, I'm sitting at home, and there was a knock on my front door, and there are my friends Peter and Lauren with a Dairy Queen peanut butter parfait for me with chocolate, which means I couldn't share it. And I enjoyed it very much because it's my favorite. How do you know what the mission God has for you? Spend time with him. Listen. And he'll tell you. Be still and know that he's God. Read the word. I mean, just, just find something and meditate on it. It doesn't have to be even a lot. Say, God, what do you want me to know? He'll tell you. It's not complicated. So make his mission top priority. Give him great gratitude. And finally, don't delay, obey today. A lot of us, we can suffer from the plague of procrastination. Uh, there's a young pastor I'm mentoring right now. The district asked me to keep tabs on him and see how he's doing and meet with him. And I met with him and his wife yesterday here at the church. And, you know, I asked him, like, how can I help you? I, I spend time listening and encouraging and giving you advice. But how can, I, how can I help you in between times? He said, would you call me once a week and ask me what I'm procrastinating about? Because that takes guts. I can honor that. Because it's a problem. We know what to do, but we put it off, right? When you know God has given you a second chance, this is not the time for procrastination. <laughs> There's a danger in procrastination, which Martin Luther speaks to. He says, how soon, not now, becomes never. Right? How soon, how quickly it comes. Well, someday I'll get to it, but not now. It never happens. What God has told you to do we're not to drag our feet and say, before I can do what God wants me to do, first I need to, and there's a blank you can fill in. Before God wants me to do what he's asked me to do, I first need to um, make more money. I need to get more schooling. I, I need to get married first. I need to move out on my own. I'm, before I can do what God wants me to do, I, I, how do you fill in that blank? How are you putting it off? What's your excuse? We need to understand delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. It's telling God, I will obey, but in my terms. We read how Jesus' ministry, one day as they left, a religious scholar asked Jesus if he could go along. I'll, I'll go with you, whatever, wherever, he said. Jesus was curt. He said, are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. Another one came up to him and said, Lord, I'll follow you. I want to go with you, but can I just go back home and wait till the day my father dies, and then I will, then I will come and follow you. Compare this with the response of the disciples when he called them. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And what does it say? And immediately they left their nets and followed him. There's no procrastination. 
There was no, but one day when time's right, when things are, when everything lines up, then I'll come and follow you. Jonah said this. This time, or it says in the Bible, Jonah 3.3, 3, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. This time and went to Nineveh. He actually did it. A city so large it took him three days to see it. What did we learn today? We learned that we serve a God of second chances. And I know he's talking to somebody here, out in the online world. Because you know that you've been drifting. You are sinking. And you may even die before without in disobedience. But before you do, God just wants to give you in this message, these series of messages, a chance to listen, a chance to obey, and to follow him. This is God's grace in action. It's what he does. But you must receive it. You know, one day the talking's going to stop. The sermons are going to stop for you. The Bible reading, the Bible will be closed, and it'll be no longer life. It'll be death that you're in. While you have life, while you may even feel like you're in the belly of the whale, this is the time to look up, to pray passionately back to God, the Word of God, saying, help. Once you have received that, once you realize that God has given you a second chance, then you respond to Him with great gratitude. This isn't routine anymore. This isn't just going through the motions anymore. I understand I was lost, but now I'm found. I know I was blind, but now I see. I know I went through many dangerous toils and late consciences in my life. But God saves me and will lead me safely home. And secondly, you make God's mission your top priority, trusting he'll take care of you. But understand, what is it you have? Why am I here, God? What's my purpose? And just spend time listening. Spend time with him listening. He'll tell you. But we don't take the time. We don't make the time. And then secondly, once he tells you, don't delay. Don't say, okay, that's a good idea. And when I get this done or accomplished, then I'm going to follow you. Don't wait for that right moment. Obey today. And this is a great way for us to lead into communion today. Because in communion, we come before God and say, Lord, search my heart. Know any way in me that is not right. Examine me. Test me. Point out to me anything of disobedience. And we're going to spend the time to listen, and God will tell you to spend that time. It says in the Corinthians, That's not good for us to come to the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin. And so if you would listen and with this thing called the heart, a passion and desire, sincerely say, Lord, I get it. I'm so sorry for what you revealed to me. I'm convicted by it. Confess that. I would pray that you would do that now. Because what we're about to do 
represents the greatest moment in history, bar none. We sang about it. Jesus, why should I share in your reward? Who am I? Well, apparently you love me so much. They went to the cross. And on that cross, and I tell you, I try to imagine, I can't. I, even the physical part is horrible to understand, but to take upon the sin of all men, to be separated from God the Father for those three hours, and to pay the price that I deserved and you deserved and all people deserved that would come to know him. I can't imagine. I try. I can't. But I know he did this for me and for you. And so today we come with great gratitude. I say, Jesus, thank you. He said to us, this is my body. It was, my body was broken for you. Eat this and remember. And then what Jesus did is he took a cup of the grape, which is red. It reminds you of blood. And as I always say, blood represents life. So when he gave, when he bled, he, he rep, it means I'm giving my life for you. If you want, I'll exchange my righteousness for your sin. On the cross, I'll take your sin and pay for it and give you in return my righteousness so you can stand before God the Father one day and be completely safe and ready. So God said, I took, he takes this cup. He said, would you drink this and remember my life given to you and be thankful, he says, with great gratitude. Worship team will come. Let us pray. Father, we are a blessed people. How sorry we are when we don't live that way. When in arrogance and pride, we, we go around and, and we, we claim things that we have no right to claim because besides your grace, we are doomed. I'm glad you're not a fair God. I'm glad that you have grace upon me, that you give me another chance, God, that you're willing to die for me. Even before I was born, you knew I would be here and we would be here and you're willing to pay the price for my sin. I don't deserve that. That's not being fair. That's being loved. I thank you for that today, God. You are such a blessed God. We want to honor you with great gratitude. We want to honor you by making your mission the top priority. We want to honor you by not putting off God, but by following through today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.